It's my pleasure to welcome you to the Clark Howard Show. Our mission is to serve you and empower you so you make better financial decisions in your life. In today's show, I need for you to know that nursing care homes of various types are illegally going after patients' relatives for debts. I'm going to talk about that. And later, another practice you need to know that's hitting the younger side of our nation, bad investment advice on TikTok and other social media channels want you to get legitimate financial advice to keep your wallet safe. We're going to talk about that. Should I start out with the question here? Sure. Go ahead. Chris in California said, I read an article about how care homes and convalescent homes are suing caregivers for debts that they do not owe on their loved one. And they panic and sometimes pay or get harassed forever by a third-party debt collector. Can you tell us how to stop collections or debt collectors from this kind of thing? Thanks in advance from all the children and relatives who have their parents in a care home. So this is crazy. So Chris just wrote in about Mm -hmm. this. Okay. So Chris, this is a beautiful question you have. And it's so ironic that I'm talking about it now because I have talked about this ever since the law went into effect. I feel like it was like maybe 10 years ago or whatever. And I've done it from time to time on my uh, prior syndicated radio show. I would talk about this. And I want you to know that there is a completely illegal practice going on. There was just an alert put out by the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau again about it. That's why you may have seen a news story about it, is that it is illegal and debt collectors know they're breaking the law. And the nursing homes know they're breaking the law. After somebody passes away, sometimes even when they're still living, and somebody can't pay for their care anymore, or they passed away and there's unpaid debts, they're then going after the family members, and they cannot even have you sign a form of financial responsibility. Um, The Department of Health and Human Services said that this is illegal, and yeah, I mean, they, they did put out the alert and they sent a warning recently to nursing homes and to the debt collection industry to stop being illegal players, to stop doing what they're not allowed to. So they're feeling enormous pressure. They've got all the costs of providing with someone's uncompensated care. Someone will be in that bed in that nursing home. They pass away and there's unpaid bills. So they do what a business would. They try to seek money from wherever they can. But under federal law, it is illegal to go after individual family members. So I'm glad you have this question here because I was already going to talk about this anyway because I didn't know this had become a real problem again because these rules went into effect. I'm trying to remember if it was... 2012. It was something around that time period. Talked about it then. Talked about it since. And know that you are not to roll over and play dead for any collector 
trying to collect on these bills. They are not allowed to ruin your credit. They are not allowed to seek payment from you. It is illegal for them to even seek the payment from you, from the nursing home or from the debt collector. So what do you do? When you are contacted by a collector, they're legally required to send you a written statement about the debt within five days. They're likely not going to do that. They're likely just going to try to harass you because they know that they're legally not allowed to be engaging in this practice. So if they ever do send you a letter about it, you write them back and say that it's a violation of federal law to seek payment from them. It's under the Nursing Home Reform Act if you want the actual lingo. And if they call you and never send you anything, I would record the phone call. Tell them they're on a recorded line and tell them you are notifying them under the Nursing Home Reform Act that they are never allowed to contact you. The original law was passed, Krista just found, in the 80s. The regulations involving this are a decade or more old, involving not doing any attempt to collect on a debt of a relative from a surviving family member, period. All right, we'll get to some other questions now. This one is from David in North Carolina. He says, recently I received an email from Hulu informing me of another price increase. The price of Hulu with no ads will increase on October 10th to $14.99 a month. 180 bucks a year. For me, the only cheaper option with Hulu would be to switch to Hulu with ads. What is causing all these price increases? Amazon Prime Video and Netflix have also increased prices. So the streaming business is a big money loser right now. Uh, Very few people have been able to come up with a profitable business model because they're spending so much money creating content. The number of original content shows being produced is the largest in the history of the, let's call it the television industry. Hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of series. One count I saw recently said there are 600 original series, which compares to historical where it was 100 and something. And then the audience sizes for each thing smaller. So you got these massive production costs for a smaller number of eyeballs. The math doesn't work. So you're going to find that content producers, these streaming services, become more stingy about how many productions they do, and they're going to try to not lose money offering their streaming services. So it's pushing rates higher, and we're seeing this big division. It's a parting of a sea, if you will, with people that are willing to put up with ads, i.e. me, are going to get significantly lower prices. People who want ad-free are going to pay significantly more. And I'm seeing this with, I'm trying to think of exceptions. Virtually every streaming service, there's this big price gap developing between with ads or no ads. Uh, Netflix is going to launch very soon their ad base, which they said they would never do. You know, that's a, that's a thing. You're told never say never because you never know when never will come, right? Mm, so true. Yeah. So that's the answer to this, David, is people were fighting for market share for a long time. 
And they were like, wow, we're just digging ourselves a deeper and deeper financial hole. And so these prices you're seeing are because they were all in a money-losing spiral. And from Steve in Tennessee, my 3.84% interest auto loan has 37 months left with a balance of just over 15000 I was unaware that as a simple interest loan, interest is calculated daily based on the unpaid principal balance. Therefore, additional payments will lower the amount of interest I will pay over the life of the loan. The lender informed me that if I make an extra $1,000 payment, I would save approximately $735 of interest over the life of the loan. Other listeners may save a lot of money by making these additional payments. This is a great, great point that you make here. Because, Steve, the difference with a simple interest auto loan and a lot of auto loans that the uh, dealer-based banks offer is they will use a different form of calculation called rule of 78s or sum of digits that forces you to pay the interest even as you might prepay the loan, you're still going to pay the lion's share of the interest. If you do a credit union loan in particular, the loan will almost 100% of the time, if not 100% of the time, it will be a simple interest loan, which means that if you prepay the loan at any point, any amount of it, that the savings are immediate and permanent for the full run of that loan. So there's an enormous advantage, just as there is with credit cards. You know, when we talk about with credit cards, instead of waiting till the day the, the payment is due, paying a credit card where you're running a balance as often as you can as much as you can throw there and as quick as you can, every single day earlier you get the money to the credit card company, you're saving money in interest on that credit card. Same thing with a vehicle loan. You wouldn't think it with a vehicle loan because a credit card is a revolver. You know, the interest is a floating balance, floating amount. An auto loan starts off at as high amount when you take it out, and then over time, the balance trends down and you're paying for a set period of time. But anytime it's a simple interest loan, you can have this enormous impact doing exactly what Steve has discovered. Now, coming up next, an area that confuses people no end, who to trust and how to know whether you should trust somebody giving you advice about investing your money. We're going to talk about that. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Hey, listeners, whether you love true crime or comedies, celebrity interviews, news, or even motivational speakers, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue, right? And guess what? Now you can call the shots on your auto insurance, too. Enter the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. The Name Your Price tool puts you in charge of your auto insurance by working just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance. Then they'll show you a variety of coverages that fit within your budget, giving you options. Now, that's something you'll want to press play on. It's easy to start a quote, and you'll be able to choose the best option for you, fast. It's just one of the many ways you can save with Progressive Insurance. Quote today at Progressive.com to try the Name Your Price tool for yourself and join over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. 
I recently had the privilege of speaking to a financial industry conference called FinCon that had its annual gathering in Orlando. And the topic of my speech was about ethics in investing and how important it is that in order to preserve your reputation, if you're providing financial advice to people, however you're doing it, whether you're selling them investments or you're providing advice, that you be what I call unbought and unbossed. That there's never any question who you're there to serve, that you're there to serve that individual. And I was talking about how on social media, it's so common now that people get a following, whatever the following is for, and then the payday for them is when they become an influencer and that they get paid because they now have a following. And I talked about this last year, how um, influencers, depending on what social media following they have, that you have these many followers, you're worth this little amount of money. But you get this next level, these many followers, suddenly you're worth a lot of money to companies that want you to pitch whatever they have. And then you get to this next level and you're worth incredible money. And this same stuff is going on on social media now in the investment space. TikTok was really kind of the pioneer for it. But now it's very, very common that you will see pitches from people who are from generally the investment community, and those that are not, that they're pitching you stuff that you think is what they really think, but it's because pay for play. Someone has bought that opportunity for them to appear to be recommending something, but they're only saying it because they're getting paid to say it. And so you've got to be aware, even somebody who's been giving you good advice that you trust on social media, and then will say, hey, you know, I think this is the great, great thing for you to get. How do you know that great thing they're pushing you to is really what they believe in their heart and their head, or is because they were paid as an influencer to get generate leads for that business. This is a terrible, terrible, difficult problem. I mean, what's my solution to it? You may find somebody on social media who you're really enjoying how they're teaching you fundamentals of investing or uh, building a portfolio or strategies for living a more frugal life or whatever it is. Take their strategies, but be very wary when they start recommending individual organizations because you don't know, is that recommendation bought and paid for or is it really what they believe? You know, I've had the great fortune through my entire career that I have never, ever, ever, not ever done an endorsement once in my whole career. Not going to happen. Never has happened, has not happened, and will not happen. Because what I've got to offer is my belief in what I'm telling you. 
the trust that I have hopefully earned from you over time. But others are looking for a quick score. And that quick score can come. The temptation of the money can just overwhelm somebody. And they're like, okay, I got to do this. I mean, look at what they're offering me. You got to be aware that those temptations are out there and be very, very wary when you get that pitch. Now, what if you're trying to hire somebody? Okay, this was really discouraging to me. There was an item in Barron's recently that said there are now 225 professional designations that people are adding to their name that are pitching financial advice. 225 different professional designations, many of which turn out to mean nothing. They're just impressive-sounding titles so commission-based people can pitch you on things. This is why it's so key that you learn the basics of investing and know them yourself. Don't say it's too hard, too complicated, or too difficult, and just say, you handle it for me. Because then that nice person with the gift of gab, before you know it, can win your confidence and be putting you in something that's either inappropriate or way too costly. Too much of your money is going to him or her or their organization instead of to your future and your investing. I want you to be very, very skeptical of people you might hire. And I think about when I talk to people one-on-one and I ask them, well, is the person who you're getting advice from, are they a fiduciary? And when I ask that question, I know that 95% of the time or higher, they don't even know what I'm talking about. I'll ask, how did they get paid? Overwhelmingly, they don't know. I say, are they required to do what's best for you or not? And I get a blank stare. I need for you to take to heart these things I talk about. If you are going to get assistance from somebody, if you have somebody working for you, supposedly, are they really working for you? And I want you to be careful because you've worked hard to live on less than what you make. And the money you have going to work for you, I want to make sure that you're getting good, real, unvarnished advice. And so a fiduciary, that's somebody who's legally required to do what's in your best interest. If you're a regular listener to me on the podcast, you've heard me use that word over and over again. Needs to be absorbed And you need to act on it and live within that, that you stick strictly with someone who legally is obligated and required to do what's in your best interest, that you're paying for his or her advice clearly, and it's not being absorbed into some commission structure where there's always going to be a conflict between what's best for that individual and what's best for you. Be careful out there. Krista? 
This question's from Donna in Georgia. I recently met with a financial advisor and the fee to manage and rebalance our accounts was an annual 1.75%. What is a reasonable fee one should pay for this type of service? 1.75 is actually very high. Uh, the industry standard level is about 1%, but there are lots of models out there. You can pay a monthly fee like with, with XY Planning Network, mm -hmm. monthly fee. There are organizations that offer much lower. Vanguard as a co-op offers a 0 0.30 if you have um, 50000 or more dollars to invest. You pay uh, less than one-third of 1%. One so it's all over the place. 1.75, you ask what's a reasonable fee? 1.75 is very much on the high side and... I'm surprised that someone is offering a fee that high. And uh, normal, let's say the average, 1%. Yeah, I think it, it depends on the, the balance you have, too. It should get lower and lower. So right. like my, now, not, I have a fiduciary. You say should get lower and lower. A lot of organizations, the fee stays the same. Yeah, I'm with a fiduciary planner, and they have, it goes from 1% down. down. Yeah. And this question is from Karen in South Carolina. I have a diamond ring that I wish to sell. Is going to a local buyer the best avenue or is using something like Worthy a better route? So Worthy is something that we were been asked about before. And Worthy has good reviews, uh, good ratings. You're not going to get the retail price, never. I mean, once you've owned one, you're going to get... A wholesale, it's like what level you're going to get. And getting quotes locally is a great idea. And you can use Worthy as kind of like a true serum price point versus what you might be offered locally. So I would say not one or the other. I would say both. And from Pam, I shared your 100 plus brands made in the USA article and got some pushback on the list. Are those brands listed fact checked to be true? So Karis of our staff does this every year, just did so in August, mid-August to verify these brands. We take this very seriously. It's possible that some brand is going to fool us. But we do the best we can to dig in and verify that the brands of items that we say are made in the USA actually are made in the USA. And Pam, if we blew it with one, we'd love to know. But we believe the information that we've just updated is, in fact, current and accurate. And speaking of fact-checking and Karis, our... Clark Deals team is there for you at ClarkDeals.com. We actually go out and look for the best deals we can find each day. We're not playing games. We're not wasting your time. We want to find things that will be real, legitimate, good deals. And we work hard every single day finding those special bargains for you at ClarkDeals.com. Have a great day.